Hello again, and welcome to Strange Sound. It's Joe, leader of Strange Sound. (laughs) I am the military governor of Strange Sound. What follows is a somewhat lengthy list of crimes against the state. Actually, um, I'm going to start this episode of Strange Sound, which is our third. I'm going to start this episode of Strange Sound with... My standard disclaimer, disclaimer, the opinions expressed on strange sound are mine and mine alone. They represent no one else's opinions but mine. Uh, The number of the people whose opinions they represent is one, and that one is me. Um, They do not represent the opinions of... My wife, uh, my family, my employer, my dog, don't have a dog, my cats, nope. That's it. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Isn't this fun? Um, I was going to spend this episode talking about elections because we are in a very volatile election season and I wanted to draw attention to something um, that I think is uh, kind of an important principle in both um, presidential elections and in um, congressional district elections and even in you know, local races, that sort of thing. Um, and that has to do with the ground game of any given campaign, uh, how much that makes a difference Again, this is not something that I have any particular expertise in. Full disclosure. I am not an activist. Uh, I've been a campaign worker in the past, but I'm a pretty terrible campaign worker. Uh, not only do I hate it like fire, but I, uh, I'm i pretty bad at it, really. I'm terrible at making phone calls. I'm terrible at canvassing door-to-door uh, I get very invested in my feelings about a given campaign, and it's really hard for me to call people up and have them say, ah, I, don't, I don't like I don't like XYZ. I don't like candidate X. And I'm like, ah, God, that pisses me off. Which is really inappropriate. It's an inappropriate reaction when you're canvassing and you're representing another you're representing a candidate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they really don't want me doing this, is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, I, I don't have any special expertise on this. Um, I gladly yield to people who are very active in this area. I'm thinking of um, some of the callers into Majority Report, um, that fellow from Pennsylvania who's... Uh, uh, very um very into 
grassroots organizing and election election work. Uh, a lot of a lot of the folks that call into that show are are heavily into that. And uh, if you want to know how that works, I would listen to them. This is just a personal perspective and just my own sense of uh, some of what other more experienced and more qualified people have commented on over the years. <laughs> so this is this is just my take. But I want to talk today about elections and about the kind of difference that grassroots organizing and um, a really good ground game, a really good get-out-the-vote effort can make in an election. Okay, I live in upstate New York. Um, I live in the city of Utica in upstate New York. And just as a little bit of background, uh, the first campaign I ever worked on was the McGovern campaign in 1972. I was 13 years old. I was in junior high school. And I did phone calls for them at their campaign headquarters, um, which was in downtown Utica. And I did a certain amount of stuffing envelopes, that sort of thing. It was old school. It was 1972. And this, this was an old fashioned campaign. Most of the, most of the, um, campaign activists were students from the local colleges. Uh, I think the ones that I met were from Hamilton college and it was an interesting experience, but again, it was a formative experience. I remember calling people on the phone, phone banks, that sort of thing. And uh, another thing that I did <laughs> in 1972 was uh, I was actually my residence at that time. My family lived in the town of New Hartford, which is as its former supervisor, John Kazanjan, described it, a rock-ribbed Republican town, <laughs> which is a very accurate description, particularly at that time. And it's it's actually the hometown of our former congresswoman, Claudia Tenney. Um, full disclosure, I, I knew Claudia's older brother when I was in school, when I was in junior high and high school. Uh, Claudia actually went to high school with me for about half a year. She was two, three years younger than me. So we were in the same high school together. Uh, so <laughs> it was uh, it was an extremely Republican town, and I was working on the McGovern campaign. Now you may think that that's um, probably a real backwater for the McGovern campaign, but I should tell you that um, George McGovern made a campaign stop at the New Hartford Shopping Center in 1972. This is how hard George McGovern was working to be elected president. He made all kinds of campaign stops all over the country. One of them was in New Hartford, New York at the shopping center, <laughs> a strip mall, um, a strip mall where I used to maintain a little information booth about 
George McGovern. Now picture this. I was a 13-year-old kid sitting at a little, like, uh, a booth kind of like Lucy and Peanuts, you know, like the psychiatric help five-cent booth. Um, It was a bit like that without the sign, right? But it it was like a table, and it had... Um, I, I had boxes of literature. I had campaign literature, one piece of which I remember being called the McGovern Encyclopedia, <laughs> which was a large um, kind of a tabloid uh, newsprint piece that went on for pages and pages about George McGovern's proposed policies, that sort of thing. A lot of brochures, buttons, things like that. And, and a little speaker with a microphone so that I could read excerpts out of the McGovern Encyclopedia to the shoppers as they walked by at the New Hartford Strip Mall (laughs) in a place where there was probably half a dozen people who were going to vote for any Democrat, let alone George McGovern. Um, So it was a heavily Nixon town. Um, There I was like sitting, (laughs) sitting at this little booth (laughs) uh, in traffic. It was, it was quite entertaining, interesting experience. And, um, I was manning my little booth when George McGovern came and spoke at a band shell, um, in the parking lot at the new Hartford shopping center, you know, strip mall, big crowd of people showed up, presidential candidate, major party candidate. Um, he gave a speech. I remember my, um, Primary care physician, Dr. Kaplan, introduced him. Um, Dr. Kaplan was a uh, apparently a prominent local Democrat, <laughs> but he got up there and uh, actually the, probably the reason why George McGovern spoke at the shopping center is that the folks who owned the shopping center at that time were um, involved in the Democratic Party. And that's that's my guess is that it was probably an easy thing to arrange and they were probably one of the handful of democrats in the town at the time <laughs> but uh i i was another one of the handful and uh dr kaplan introduced george mcgovern um the only thing i remember about that i don't even really remember very much about george mcgovern's speech but um there was <laughs> i remember the uh, pieces of the introduction that Dr. Kaplan, my pediatrician at the time, gave to George McGovern. Um, George McGovern had been called an extremist by by both the Republicans and by you know more conservative Democrats, um, and of course he wasn't. But that was <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, Dr. Kaplan in- introduced him and laid out this uh, medical metaphor saying, well, an extremist is, say, you know, you have, you come into your doctor and say, doctor, I have a problem with my toe. Um, And and, and your doctor wants to cut your leg off. That's an extremist. Okay, so Dr. Kaplan contrasted that with the um, Republicans, the Nixon administration, which he said was the equivalent of a doctor who, if you came in with your leg falling off, that he would only want to cut off your little toe. 
Um, and that that's, that's worse <laughs> in some ways. So, I mean, that, that was the contrast that Dr. Kaplan had laid out and it didn't work very well, but, uh, that's about all I remember about that rally. It was interesting. It was a very interesting experience. Anyway, now the first campaign uh, that I really got deeply involved in is uh, the campaign for Michael R. Curie um, running for Congress um, at our local seat, which at the time I think was the 23rd district or the 24th district. It keeps changing. Years ago, um, Utica was in the 23rd district. Then it was in the 24th district. Now it's the 22nd district. So every time they redistrict, every time New York State loses um, a few seats um, or a seat, uh, they change the district number here. So um, if you try to look up our history as a district, you'll see all kinds of... um, you won't really see a reflection of... So if you look at the history of the 22nd Congressional District, you'll see a history that covers a large piece of geography um, that I think actually begins with a piece of Brooklyn. Um, and this is, this is you know, so, I mean, the, the number is quite malleable. Um, but right now we're in the 22nd District. But let's just say the the local area was represented by... Um, Sherwood Bullard for a number of years. I think he was our congressperson for better than 20 years. And he retired. He was retiring in time for the 2006 election. And um, the candidate that was running to replace him on the, you know, Sherwood Bullitt was a moderate Republican. Literally, uh, what used to be termed a moderate Republican. So he was a middle-of-the-road guy. He was pro-choice. He was, um, in the 1980s, he voted against uh, Contra Aid. Um, so he supported the Boland Amendment, I believe, um, which um, prohibited aid to the Contras. So he had some... A relatively progressive credentials, not not all the way across the board. I mean, he was he was a Republican, um, but he did support um, legislation on acid rain, um, the prevention of acid rain. Um, he had a reputation as as a congressperson who was uh, concerned about the environment that sort of thing. Um, I don't think it extended very much into climate change at that point, but it was mostly about issues like acid rain. Anyway, Sherwood Bullard was retiring at the end of his term. His last election was 2004, and he was retiring. And the um, Republican that was nominated to run for his seat was a guy named Ray Meyer, who was a state senator from our area, who was a conservative. Um, he was more conservative than Sherwood Bullard. Um, he was anti-choice and a number of other things. Um, and the 
I remember the primary race on the Democratic side was um, mostly, I think it was a two-person race. Um, it was between Michael R. Curie, who was our local district attorney, and Les Roberts, who um, was part of the group from um, Johns Hopkins, who did the um, survey of, of deaths in Iraq during the Iraq war. Um, I, I actually met him at a campaign event. He was a very interesting fellow, um, doctor. And I was, I was pretty enthusiastic about his candidacy. He did not end up being the candidate. I don't remember if there was a primary or if he just dropped out. It's been a few years now, so I don't actually remember, but, um, Michael Arcuri ended up being the nominee for that that race. Now, typically, when Democrats ran to represent this congressional district, the congressional district that covers uh, the Utica area, a lot of times it was a kind of a token opposition. They Some years they would put some resources behind it, but it was usually a find a rich person or just find someone who's going to stand for election um, just so that someone's name is on the ballot. Um, and typically those races were run by local Pauls. Um, there was a local professor, um, political science professor who used to run some of the campaigns. Um, and local, uh, political activists would, would be involved the Michael R. Curie race was different because of the dynamics of the 2006 congressional campaign, the off-year election. Uh, this was obviously after George W. Bush's re-elect in 2004 when the um, Iraq war had gone really septic and after Katrina and all that and various other dynamics that were, were making the race seem more like a Democratic year. And so it, the decision was made by the Democratic Party, I believe, that uh, they were going to put some resources into this race. So instead of relying on the usual area polls and political activists, the um, Democratic Party put some resources into this race. And it was quite remarkable. They set up a massive call center. They sent paid, um, experienced campaign staff to the district to organize volunteers. So it was a very organized campaign. There was a lot of canvassing going on. They had a voice over internet protocol system uh, for the telephones, which was the first time I'd ever seen anything on that scale. A lot of telephones, um, a lot of, a lot of callers, a lot of volunteer callers, a lot of resources. Uh, they had people, you know, bussing out to different um, communities to do canvassing. Um, they had um, some some real savvy um, political operators come out there and and strategize and get people. You know, have I remember some group meetings where they. They talked about their strategy and how important it was to have a good ground game and how a ground game can make a difference of several points and that in a district like the 22nd 
that could mean three points, four points. And I remember them saying, you know, we're going to need those points. And it's true. We did. But the upshot was we won. The Arcuri campaign won with 54% of the vote in the end. And um, it was a successful campaign. And it was obvious why. Uh, The party had put a lot of money into this campaign. They had put some expertise into it. They had built a ground game. Um, They organized legions of volunteers. I saw activists that I hadn't seen in years. I I met a lot of people who were local activists who worked on the campaign. I was, you know, I was only tangentially related to it. You know, I, I, I didn't spend that much time on it. I did some phone calls. That was basically it. But I was there enough to observe how it was running, and I was quite impressed. That was 2006. In 2008, his reelect. now this was a presidential election year. Obviously, this was the Obama, uh, first Obama election. Um, Obama was at the top of the ticket, and Arcuri was running against Richard Hanna, and Arcuri was the incumbent. And I signed up to do some phone calls. They sent me to an office downtown that was basically the local um, local labor council, which is really just a small set of offices in a building um, downtown Utica. And there were a limited number of phones, and there were people, a handful of people doing phone banking. Nothing like that type of resources that were put into it in 2006. There wasn't any big call center. I didn't see any real, you know, uh, political operators sent from the national party. It was all just, you know, um, piggybacking on an existing infrastructure set up by the, the uh, area unions. And, you know, that was, that's an important constituency and it's important to have their support, but, they were not putting the level of resources into it as they had in 2006. And Arcuri won that race, but just by a hair. It was very close. And that was a presidential election year. I mean, that was Obama's first um, first election. So um, you would have thought that that would have propelled him over the top. In 2010, the wave election of that year the sort of uh, mid, first midterm shellacking that Obama got. Uh, Arcuri lost to Richard Hanna in a rematch, and that was that. And my, I actually didn't work on that campaign, but my assumption is that it was, it was more similar to the 2008 operation than to the 2006 operation. I may be wrong, but my guess is it was more like 2008 than it was like 2006. I'm sure they didn't put the kind of resources into it that they did in 2006, which was really a remarkable campaign and a successful one. Okay, fast forward to <laughs> fast forward to 2016. The next time I worked on a campaign, and this is after um, three terms of Richard Hanna, who was a moderate Republican in the more modern sense. In other words, he was kind of quietly pro-choice. 
um, and had a little bit in the way of environmental concerns. He was sort of playing the Sherry Bollert game. Um, so he, he wasn't, wasn't all bad. Uh, he decided to retire after three terms. Okay. So Claudia Tunney ran in 2016 on the Republican ticket and she was opposed by, um, a Democrat named Kim Myers and, uh, an, an independent named Martin Babinek. Um, Martin Babinek was like a, like a tech entrepreneur type guy with a lot of money who just wanted to run. And Kim Myers was uh, from downstate. I think she was from the Cortland area. I'm not sure. I did some work for her. I worked on her campaign. And again, this was not a campaign like our Curie's 2006 campaign. It was more like our Curie's 2008 campaign. The call center was, she had a small regional office in Utica. It was literally like the size of a closet. The call center that I went to, again, I did some phone calls for her. The call center that I worked out of was, again, at the Labor Council's office in downtown Utica. We were supplied with laptops that that had a dial-up system installed in them. So an automatic dialer. Um, This was a lot more automated than, obviously, 2006. And it was basically a laptop and a headset. And it would automatically dial numbers from a list and connect you with potential voters. Now, mind you, this was towards the end of the campaign, This was in the last few days, probably the last week of the campaign before the election. I was working on the get out the vote effort, just making phone calls, reminding people to vote. And as the dialer was working, it was connecting me with people who did not support Kim Myers for Congress. At this point in a campaign, at the end of a campaign in the final few days, what you should be doing is calling people who have already said, they are interested in voting for the candidate. That's what you should be doing. That was not what was happening. I attribute this to the same sort of failure that the the Clinton campaign ran into. The Clinton campaign used statistical modeling and they compiled their list based on, on voter preferences, voter profiles, that sort of thing. People who they felt were likely to support them. I was being connected with supporters of Claudia Tenney, supporters of Trump, and it was relatively rare that I got someone who committed to voting for Kim Myers. And that, to me, that was shocking. And of course, uh, Kim Myers went down to defeat. Claudia Tenney became our congressperson. And, uh, I think a large part of that failure that particular year. And again, it's hard to say why Claudia Tenney won and Kim Myers lost definitively. Part of it was the fact that Trump was on the ticket and 
he was running against Clinton and it was kind of a lopsided win in our district. It was something like 54 to 45 or something like that. And this is upstate New York. So uh, a lot of the power of that win sort of trickled down to Claudia Tenney in a district that trends Republican anyway, though a bit it has a history of having centrist Republican representation. Um, we didn't ordinarily have extremist Republicans representing the district, but I can say as someone who's about 60 years old, um, this district has been represented or this area has been represented by a Democratic congressperson for a grand total of six years of that 60 years. So it, it tends to be a Republican district, but one that is represented by relatively moderate Republicans up until Claudia Tenney. Claudia Tenney was a right-wing Trump Republican. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar with this area, you've, you may well have heard of Claudia Tenney. Uh, she became nationally famous <laughs> in the course of two years. And the reason why she was elected, partly, I suspect, was not just because Trump was at the top of the ballot, but because the ground game was not there. It's, it was probably related to the reason why Hillary Clinton was not elected and why she did not win Pennsylvania and why she did not win Wisconsin and why she did not win Michigan. It's because um, the ground game was terrible. And there was a tendency in that uh, year 2016 uh Certainly in the Democratic side, the Clinton campaign, and I think by extension, the congressional campaign committees um, uh, that uh, ran that campaign, just based on my own experience and on the experience of others, um, that it was heavily reliant on data models as opposed to traditional ground game. The sort of thing that I was talking about happened in 2006 during Michael Curie's first campaign for for the congressional seat in my hometown here. That, again, was a an effort driven by the party, but they were more, um, it seems to me, they were more invested in the traditional sort of legwork, canvassing, uh, you know, get out the vote. And they had uh, a more scientific approach to it. Maybe not more sophisticated in terms of technology, but then again, let's let's look at where consultants got us in Iowa this year. Um, I, I think it's part of the same dynamic. Um, I'm not the best source on this. My suggestion is if you want to hear some really in-depth discussions about, about this, um, I would listen to the majority report, go back and listen to Sam Cedar's um, conversation with David Dan a few weeks back um, and some other related discussions that have happened um, during the campaign season. And I, I think that's a pretty good source on some of this. It's just a product of the age we live in, um, the consultant-heavy National Democratic Party, um, core Democratic Party that that just relies on these sort of abstract technological solutions. 
as opposed to sort of person to person, um, real grassroots organizing of the type that uh, Keith Ellison and Bernie Sanders and others have uh, have always more heavily invested in. So that's that's a thing, and I, and so my point today I think is simply that there is this struggle um, in the modern Democratic Party between grassroots activism and this kind of tech-heavy consultant model. And as uh, the majority report folks have pointed out, um, this isn't my my original thought by any means, this may be less an ideological question than simply a matter of protecting somebody's phony baloney job. Um, more prurient professional interests you know who gets the consulting contracts who is you know who is on what board that sort of thing anyway that's how politics works that's what we're up against and that's what progressives everywhere are up against is this you know it's basically the establishment to put it in very simple terms but the failure back in 2016 was just manifest. And I saw a pretty, what I think is probably a pretty representative piece of it, just in this 22nd district race that we lost that year. Now, two years later, Anthony Brindisi won the race. Anthony Brindisi is the uh, Democratic congressman from this area. Um, he's a member of the problem solvers conference and uh he's about as far right as democrats get um but he you know he won in this district and in order to win in this district um at least the way the um, electorate is currently comported the people who vote the only way you can win is by being the muddle in the middle so there you go uh, full disclosure, I did contribute small amount to uh, Brindisi's campaign. And uh, I, d I certainly don't regret that. Um, even though he's disappointed me plenty of times. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, that's all I got for today. Thanks for listening to Strange Sound. Um, if you have any comments, any thoughts... Any ideas for future episodes, please share them with me. You can find out more about us at anchor.fm slash strange sound. As I said in the last episode, we're still building this thing. So feedback is welcome. I would be glad to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at strange sound pod. Um, you can tweet at me there. Anyway, thanks for listening. Please like and share this show in whatever ways you can. If you if you want, please leave a review. We're not yet on iTunes, I see. Uh, we're on Google Podcasts. We're on other platforms. We're on Stitcher. Um, so please find us where you can. If you can't find us, go to anchor.fm um, slash strange sound. All one word. And check it out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.